Oh, you're worthy to be praised, Father. You know, Savannah and the worship team, by the way, let's give the worship team a round of applause. Come on, somebody. You can do better than that. Don't play with them. Praise them. Yes, Lord. You need to be praying for your worship team. Amen. How many of y'all know that that was the devil's job? He was the leader of worship, and the worship team leads us as the body of Christ into the presence of God. Amen. So if you haven't been interceding on behalf of the worship team, please add that to your to-do list. Amen. All right, so the, the worship team was saying, yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the power forever. Amen. All right. Now, the Greek word for kingdom is basilia and basilia means rule sovereignty and royal power amen so when we sing yours is the kingdom we're literally welcoming welcoming in the rule the reign and the royal power of god into our atmosphere did you guys know that did you know that the word hallelujah in, is two words. In the Hebrew, it's hale, which means behold the power of, and yah, which is God. So behold the power of God. So when we sing hallelujah, when we sing about his kingdom, we're giving a warning, amen? We're giving a disclaimer. We're saying, y'all better get ready because the power of God is about to be released into this atmosphere. Come on, somebody. So right there where you're at, we're going to go ahead and stay standing for the reading of the word in this house, amen. And we're going to be coming out of 2 Timothy 3, and we'll start in 1, and the word of the Lord reads, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. You may be seated. Avoid such men as these. If you guys will pray with me right there, let's welcome in the Holy Ghost to this time. Amen? Because the Holy Ghost is the only one that has the power to inspire you. The Holy Ghost is the only one that has the power to restore your life. The Holy Ghost is the only one that can hold and sustain your place in the kingdom of God. Amen? Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we declare our unworthiness in your presence and acknowledge the righteous perfection in which your son walked on this earth, fulfilling the law and the prophets so that we might re-enter in to the righteousness of God. We thank you for the sacrifice, Jesus, that you paid on our behalf, standing in the gap so we may be in the presence of God, dying and giving everything so that we might inherit everything, and for that the church says amen. amen. Come on, somebody. All right. So tonight we're going to be talking about uh, the church, the bride of Christ. And tonight my topic is going to be the power isn't in the pew. Let's say that again. The power is not in the pew. Kingdom, Basilier, the sovereign, the rule, and the royal power, the power of God is not 
in the pew. It does not exist within your time in the church. It does not exist within your works. It does not exist within your praise. It exists within the relationship that comes only by the blood of Jesus Christ. For we were dead in our trespasses to sin, but we were resurrected as the righteousness of God. He found us in that place, in that muck and mire. He found us in that place of destitute, of despondency, the lack of hope. He found us in the place of brokenness, hallelujah. But if you remember the parable, sorry, it wasn't a parable. You remember the story when Jesus fed the 5,000 men, amen? Come on, somebody. What did he have his disciples do? He had them gather, gather up the fragmented pieces. He had them gather up the broken pieces, Because there's not one piece of your broken past that God does not cherish. There's not one piece of your fragmented soul that God did not go to the four corners of the earth to rescue, restore, and resurrect by the power of his word. The power is not in the pew. So tonight I'm going to greet you with a new news broadcast greeting. The news broadcast is the only place where they say good evening and then spend the next 30 minutes telling you why it's not. Are you tracking with me tonight, church? So I'm going to greet you with a thank you, Jesus, and I'm going to identify what I believe to this very day is the most dangerous species walking this earth. And the species I'm talking about is pew warmers. Come on, somebody. Now, let me go ahead and and give a disclaimer here because this isn't a message for us to be like, "Uh uh-oh, ooh-wee, uh-oh, thinking about all the people in our concentric circles of influence that this applies to or that should be hearing this message because this message is for you. Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen in the house? Glory be to God. Well, we'll keep going then. Thank you, Jesus. Today we're going to be talking about pew warmers. So I want to identify two groups of people in this thing called Christianity. There are people that are totally surrendered to God, and there are people who still think they are God. Come on, somebody. There's two types of people in this thing. Now, for those people that are still trying to be God or still think that they are God, we would say that they are practicing churchianity, but the power is not in the pew. And then they have people like us, right? We're going to claim this. I'm going to prophesy this over your life. If you're a religious Pharisee in the house, you're going to get set free by this word tonight. If you're in this house and your faith is in your works, you're going to get set free tonight. If you're in this house and your identity is in what you do for God instead of what God did in you, you're going to get set free tonight. Because my identity is in being a child of God. It's not in being a pastor. My identity is in being a child of God, not being an evangelist. My identity is in being a child of God and not being a worshiper. My identity is in being a child of God and not being a father. My identity is in being a child of God and not having the hottest wife in the entire world, although I do, I promise you. But my identity is in being a child of God because if I allow anything else under the sun to identify who I am, I have substituted the greatness of God for a great value Walmart, Burger King, have it your way gospel. And I don't know about y'all, but I can't live on the fumes of gasoline. I gotta have the fire, but the fire does not come in the pew. The fire comes by relationship with God. The fire is released when you stop talking about God more than you talk to God. So there's two types of people in this world. Undeniable fact. Greatness does not exist within the somebody else will do it mentality. 
Greatness does not exist within the somebody else will do it mentality. You see it all the time. People in the church choose to bury their head in the sand like an ostrich, choose to walk around in total oblivion to the death and desperation and destitute, the impotence that is around all of us on a daily basis instead of introducing the impotent to the omnipotent. Greatness does not exist within a somebody else will do it mentality. I was walking to the kitchen before church. That's what I love about the Holy Ghost. And I saw a piece of trash on the ground, and I had seen at least six different people walk by that piece of trash. Why didn't somebody pick it up? Because we have been bred into a society that puts the burden of production, provision, protection, puts the burden of responsibility for livelihood on our government instead of on the shoulder blades and the backbone that we were born with. We live in a society where instant gratification is the norm and it's what it's expected. And if you don't give me what I want, when I want, how I want it, the flavor I want it, the speed I want it, the rate of speech I want it, with the dress around it that I want it, then I am not going to be here. I'm going to go somewhere else so somebody else can tickle my ears. The church is full of entitlement. The church is full of people that think the power is in the pew. So I'm going to set the stage for you tonight. If you give me a little rope, I might hang myself, but I might, by the power of God, set you free. We're going to be in 2 Timothy's epistle tonight, as we saw in the introduction. And I want to set the background for this. Now, the second epistle was written by Paul while he was in prison for two years. Now, the critics are still exchanging dialogue, and there is still a lot of controversy to this day in terms of whether it was his first imprisonment or it was his second, excuse me, if it was his second imprisonment in Rome. Most of the critics and theologians would agree that it was the second imprisonment of Rome. I'm going to kick a little knowledge to you for a second. Some of you guys in this house have a desire to be stimulated in the intellectual capacity when it comes to the things of God. So God's going to answer your call real quick. Watch this. Now, most critics and theologians would say that this letter was written during the second imprisonment, which would put the time about A.D. 65. All right, now why is this important? The written word of God first began getting distributed around A.D. 33, A.D. 34. Now, if you look at when Christ died, when was that? Don't all answer at once. Okay? Why is it important for me to bring this up? Less, less than three to four decades after the death and resurrection of Christ, the written, in, uh, the written word of God began to be circulated. Why is that important, Pastor? Thanks for asking. I'm going to let you know. Because all letters in literature of antiquity that have been authenticated by historians across the globe are typically found within 500 to 1,000 years from origin before they are authenticated. Our word was authenticated within three decades. Come on, somebody. That's the power of God. The Holy Scriptures, the 66 canonical love letters to the church that have been authoritatively voted into the bride of Christ as the canon. It's the canon. It's been closed. Come on, somebody. It's been closed. And that written word was verified. It was authenticated, and it began getting circulated within three decades. And to this very day, it is still the number one sold and produced book in the existence of Everdom. Are you tracking with me today? 
Now, why is this important? Because during this time, the church was experiencing massive persecution and opposition. Now, we think that we've got it hard here in America today because we're having to share some bathrooms with some people that are, that are confused. I'm not poking fun at them. We're praying. Come on, somebody. We want to give the love of God to the community that is confused so that they might be welcomed into the house of God. Are you with me today, church? We hate the sin, but not the sinner. It's only by the love of God that all those on the outer courts are going to be welcomed into the Holy of Holies. It's not by judgment, but I paint this picture today for a reason, because the Christians in this time were experiencing persecution. The Christians of this time were experiencing watered-down doctrine. The Christians of this time were getting chased down, and they were risking life and limb to literally praise and worship the Most High God. Christians in this time were often captured and dressed in wild beast skin and hunted down for game. Christians in this era of our history were often clothed in a robe of pitch and lit on fire to bring illumination to the circus of the Vatican and to Nero's gardens. The Christians of this time were experiencing more persecution than anybody sitting in this room could even begin to fathom. Anybody seen the movie Django? You need to repent. I'm joking, but seriously. Uh, anybody, right? You guys remember Marsha. Get him, Marsha. They got the biggest dog in the history of Everton. They named him, gave him a female, right? It's kind of weird. Maybe they're trying to confuse him as well. Can I get an amen in the house of God tonight? But this was what they were experiencing. They were getting hunted down literally by dogs and by humans with uh, whatever impalement that they chose. Somebody say, I'm going somewhere with this. Let's go ahead and improve this by the word of God in terms of the imprisonment. In Acts chapter 28, verse 17, I'm going to give you guys a second to get there. We should have it up here for you guys in just a second. For those of you that are following along on the background. Now, Acts is known mostly for providing a very vivid and extensive history of our church, right? The first 13 chapters are known for giving the story of Peter's ministry, and then from 13 on is known for giving Paul's history. Now in Acts 28, 17, the word of the Lord reads like this. It says, and he stayed, it's talking about Paul, and he stayed for two full years in his own rented quarters. He was on house arrest. And he was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom. Now, we remember what kingdom means, right? The sovereignty, the reign, the rule, the royal power of God. He was preaching. You see, God displays his entity through the demonstration of power. And God still does this today. Did you guys know that? Come on, somebody. If you're in this room, then you know that very well. Can I get an amen? I got two. Let's go for three. Can somebody else say amen? Y'all ain't got to help me tonight, all right? Come on, somebody. What I'm trying to show you is that God displays, introduced, and woos, connects himself to those that he would call into his love through the demonstration of his power. And the apostle Paul knew this very well. He was in rented quarters. He was on house arrest. He had his little ankle bracelet, his little ankle swag going on, and he was preaching the power of God, literally bound in chains, yet he was still proclaiming the goodness in the name of Jesus. 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. Unhindered, it means he was uncompromised. He was above reproach in all things, of which we know that he preached to us in the Paulinian text. So now let's go ahead and jump right into the root text for the night. 
You're going to go real quick with me to 2 Timothy 3, and we're going to pick it up in verse 1. And if you guys are ready, I would like to begin releasing some takeaways to us to go home with tonight. We got through the history. Some of you guys that are more focused on the Asha Bobs and the Ba Ba Bas are, are now in a place where you can take a deep breath. Come on, somebody. We want to be well-balanced followers and lovers of Christ, right? We don't want to be that guy in the spiritual weight room of Christ that's got a huge upper body and he's got some scrawny chicken legs. Some of us are more inclined to the Holy Ghost goosebumps on the back of our neck than we are in studying in reading the Word of God. Unbalanced. You see, God has called his bride to be balanced in all things. God, the great chef in the sky, right, is making a cake, and he has brought every single ingredient, the fruits and gifts of the Spirit, into the kitchen to produce a well-balanced bride. We can get so stuck sometimes on performance. We can get so stuck sometimes on appearance. We can get so stuck on Christian knees instead of hitting our knees. Andy Minio, the great prophet, said, I don't want to talk about God more than I talk to God. Some of you guys will get that on the way home. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1, and the word of the Lord reads like this. It says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. And now why is that so dangerous? Because they are walking and operating under the banner of Christ, but they don't have a relationship. So what they're doing is inserting their opinion instead of the word of God. And when that happens, people get hurt. The Greek word for difficult is diskalos, and it means trying or perilous. Paul is forewarning the church of the attributes of which we should be on the lookout as we engage and walk through this thing called life under the power of the Holy Ghost. Paul is warning the bride of the elements that are stripping the bride of its power. And we can say today in the house of God that it still rings true to this very day. But the thing that was dangerous about these people is these were people in the church that he's talking to. Come on, somebody. These are people that led Sunday school. These are people that did, these are possibly some lay preachers, people that covered the pulpit from time to time, but were not, did not carry credentials and were not ordained. Okay, these are people that would commonly be addressing folks on behalf of the name of Jesus, but they never really knew Jesus. These are the people that Jesus at the great gates would eventually say one day, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. But we prophesied in your name, but we cast out devils in your name, but we healed in your name. He says, depart from me, I never knew you. Why were these people casting out devils, healing, and proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus? Jesus Christ in his name and actually seeing fruit. Why was that even possible? I'll tell you why. Because the word of God never fails. 
Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says that the word of God is like the dew of heaven that forms and it goes forth and always accomplishes what it sought out to achieve. It never returns void. You can be talking and speaking and claiming the name of Jesus all day long, every day of the week and twice on Sunday without having never met Jesus. We hear testimonies and stories of pastors getting saved 10 years into ministry. Thank you, Jesus, that they repented and surrendered under the weight of the cross and they finally were introduced to the greatness. Jesus said that I've got to leave so that one greater than me can come. Come on somebody. He's talking about the comforter. Now God revealed this to me the other day. He, Jesus is talking and uh, this was in John chapter 7, 16 I believe and he was talking about the triumph and the way that he walked when he was on this earth and it was in total victory. He was in total obedience, completely righteous. He upheld every single law and he also fulfilled the prophets if you guys don't mind I'd like to kick a little knowledge with you tonight now I want to I want to express to you what the astronomical odds the statistical odds of even one prophecy from the Old Testament being fulfilled today if you were to take the state of Texas and cover it six inches tall with pin needles and paint one of those needles red and go on a search to locate that one needle that would be the statistical odds of even one prophecy being fulfilled in completion by Jesus Christ and he how many y'all know didn't just fulfill one, he fulfilled every single one. He fulfilled all of them. Now, why was he able to do this? Because he's the Godhead, right? Three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Jesus was fully God and fully man as he walked on this cursed rock that we call earth. As he walked through the fallout of the Genesis 3 society, Jesus walked with the empowerment of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But Jesus knew that the bride, the people that the Father had given him, Jesus constantly talked about his ability to keep all that the Father gave to him that he never lost even one. Jesus was able to walk in such victory because he had the benefit of the Godhead. Are you tracking with me tonight? And he knew that the only way the bride would ever be able to walk in victory is if they had the benefit of the Godhead. If they had the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He said that you were appointed to be an hearer of the inheritance of the cross. To be an heir engrafted into the bride of Christ. Hallelujah. Can I get a witness in the house tonight? And the kingdom of God dwells inside of you. That means the rule, sovereign in royal power of God dwells inside of you. The Godhead, three in one. A lot of us are spending time sending prayers up to the vertical. We need to be sending prayers right here. Our prayers only got to travel about 12 inches, brother. Sister, friend, come on somebody. Jesus knew that he had to ascend so that the Holy Ghost could descend and empower the bride to walk in total victory. When he died on the cross, he gave us authority over all flesh. All flesh. And yet the bride gets crazy and they start freaking out when they see somebody receive deliverance. The bride starts getting all beside itself when they see somebody supernaturally getting healed of cancer at the altar. The bride gets all excited and beside herself when they see somebody operating in helps, see somebody serving the widow. What they don't understand is that casting out devils, healing in the name of Jesus, preaching a message of hope to the oppressed is just the beginning. It's the milk of the word. He calls 
called us to be conquerors in Christ. Now a conqueror is somebody that's so used to winning that victory doesn't even surprise them anymore. They're so used to walking in authority that they don't even get surprised when they're walking in victory. The bride of Christ has been empowered in these final days to go forth with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. He said that his throne is a flaming fire in which the flaming fire of river goes before perpetually daily. And the elders, the thousands, ten to the hundreds of thousands, and they misministered to him completely. He died so that you could walk in complete and total authority. He said if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. He didn't say the old will be gone eventually. He said the old is gone. And the new has come. My God is a God of completion. He doesn't halfway deliver anybody. Quit, quit, quit blaming your lack of self-control on God. Quit putting Jesus back up on the cross. If you need to put down the cigarette, then put that bad boy down. Well, I can stop smoking anytime I want. Then stop smoking. That was for somebody. First Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says to avoid all appearances of evil. That means even if it isn't a sin between you and God, but that somebody within your concentric circle of influence might perceive what you're doing as a sin, then you should abstain so that the glory of God's testimony would be released on that individual to woo them into the celebration of the Father's love. But yet we catch margaritas on Sunday afternoon in our own communities. And yet we catch a Coors Light on, uh, on football Sunday when we worship the God of the Dallas Cowboys. We, we catch some mixed drinks when we're worshiping the God of comfort instead of the God of the Bible. And we do it in our communities. Guess what? St. Francis of Assisi said to tell everybody about God, to tell everybody about Christ. And if necessary, use words. We're called to live a life above reproach in all ways, to pursue holiness, to pursue holiness for the glory of God and not ourselves. All right, if you guys are ready, let's do some takeaways. Go with me real quick to 2 Timothy 4, and we're going to pick it up in verse 3. And I'm going to get you guys out of here. Now, that's the first of three Pentecostal closes. I was in my prayer closet a couple mornings ago, and God told me to go to Daniel 7. I was like, Lord, where do you want me to go today? And he said, Daniel 7. I said, all right. Okay, you want me to get caught up in these visions and beasts with horns and all this crazy? What are you going to speak to me about that? Well, I got through the visions, and then in the middle of Daniel 7, it started talking about the Ancient of Days coming back. He started talking about the way that God is going to bring the bride home. We see a picture of this in Luke 17, the second advent. Why do I bring this up? The church, back around the era of, of uh, Luther, okay, the 99th thesis. This is an apostolic father. 
This is somebody that paved the way for the bride. Amen. This is somebody who was walking around in so much defeat and damnation because of his inability to keep the law that he felt that God was a cosmic bully throwing shame and defeat down at his children on a daily basis. And he couldn't find anything inside of him to continue serving him in any way, shape, or form. And God released upon him the idea of love, the idea of grace, the unmerited favor of God. And Luther Amen. Was combating a demon that we still are to this day. That's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It said when the truth shall come. I want you guys to know that when this written word began being distributed in Luther's time. The church was unbalanced. Okay. The church had a lot of people so focused on their asha babas and their and all their right. Their sign shows and wonder. They were so focused on the healings and the casting out of devils. And listen. I'm not saying that there's not a place for that. There is and it should be daily. What I'm saying is there should be a balance to this thing called Christianity. There should be a balance to this thing called being a disciple of Christ. We should be just as enriched in the word of God as we are in our ability to worship and praise him. One theologian said if you only have 10 minutes to pray, spend the first eight minutes worshiping. But we have to have that balance. Now, Martin Luther and his contemporaries were facing a crazy amount of people coming in the church and trying to declare that they were prophets, trying to declare words. I've got a word of the Lord. I've got a new letter that needs to be adopted into the Bible. I want you guys to know that there are more gospels than four out there. There are hundreds of gospels of people. The gospel of Thomas, it pushed a pantheistic theology. I don't have time to school you on that. But there were so many gospels that were being portrayed and trying to invade the bride of Christ that Josephus and his contemporaries they started fighting this demonic power that we do today called cessationists cessationists believe that the power of healing casting out of devils and the demonstration of God's power ceased with the apostles they take this one verse out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 I don't know where I'm going with this but I got to be obedient it says when the truth shall come, it's talking about uh, if there's prophecy but no love, if there's healing but no love. What it's talking about is when we go home to be with God, that there will be need, no need of prophecy. There'll be no need of healing. There'll be no need of casting out of devils because we'll be in heaven. All we'll need in heaven is love. Can I get an amen in the house tonight? But they, the church needed order. So what started out as a good thing, what started out as something that possibly had a good heart behind it, began to be used by the enemy to suffocate the bride, and it still is to this day, of her power. The power to operate in the supernatural. The power to cast out devils and demons. The power to heal the sick. The power to give sight to the blind. The power to open up deaf ears. The power to walk in the authority through the baptism of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in tongues. The bride was stripped of this power. Because they were trying to control all these crazy antics and these people coming in trying to prophesy and declare that word, God had given me a word. Everybody had a word from God. God's a God of order. So what started out as a good intention and a good motive eventually was used by the enemy to strip the bride of her power. Because what they said is the truth shall come was the written word of God. When the written word of God began to be circulated, that means the truth has come. Now look, that's cessationist. Now we are what's called continuist. 
We believe that God continues to demonstrate his power through signs, shows, and wonders. We believe that God still continues to, to operate in deliverance. We still believe that God operates in signs, shows, and wonders, healings. Can I get an amen in the house of God? And the bride has been stripped of her power. Now think, if you were the enemy, if you were the devil, and you didn't want to have to combat against these gifts of the spirit, what would you try to do? You would try to deceive the church that that does not exist anymore, that it shouldn't be done, that it's way out on the lamb of this, this crazy Christianese, that it's so far out there that you would try to suffocate it out of the churches. And it has taken place, and unfortunately to this very day, is suffocating, crippling the bride of Christ. But I believe that God is about to release a revival. Can I get an amen? Why? Because his word says so. In Joel 2, in Acts 2, he said, in the end days, I will pour out all, I will pour out my spirit on on all flesh, on both sons and daughters, that they will prophesy. Can I get an amen? And I believe that that time is now. I believe it's time for the bride to take back the power that the devil has been trying to strip her of, to start walking in the anointing, to start walking in deliverance, to start walking in supernatural signs, shows, and wonders, because the only Bible that so many people will see is you and me. The only Bible that most of the world will ever see is you and me. We're the only Jesus that they ever get. So we have to be above reproach. We have to pursue holiness, not for our identity and moralistic aptitude, but in our reverence for the oracles of God. Because if we are a worshiper, we should strive to honor the oracles of that who we love. My wife put this ring on my hand. This ring symbolizes the covenant that I made with her with God that I would love her in sickness and in health, in the good times and the bad, at the top of the mountains and down low in the valleys, that no matter what happens, I would die to self like Christ did the church to honor, uphold, support, provide, and protect her for the rest of our days. Now, when we stood up and we said, Jesus, I want you to come in our heart, we repent of our sin and ask you to take residence in our soul. We also made a covenant. And through the, through the uh, operation of baptism, which pastor said we're going to have here in a couple weeks, water baptism, that is the same symbol that this ring gives here. For us to testify and allow the bride to celebrate with us for the salvation, the greatest miracle of all, salvation, that was done on our behalf. And watch this. You didn't have anything to do with your salvation. Oh, well, there, there's, a, there's a false doctrine out in the church today that says... Well, I was drowning in the ocean of life, and God came by on his boat, and he threw out the life raft, Jesus. And I chose to, you didn't choose anything. Your picker is broken. The word of God says that you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses. You were drowned at the bottom of the ocean, and Jesus descended to the heart of the ocean to rescue, redeem, restore, and identify you. You were dead in your trespasses, and through the miracle of salvation, you have been resurrected to the newness of life. So we're gonna start walking in the power that Christ died to give us. He said, I give you authority over all flesh. So next time we're at the gas pumps and we see somebody with a limp, by the, by the name of Jesus, we're about to get out of our comfort zone and go lay hands and call the fire of heaven down upon them. 
And God's going to show up every time. Why? Because we have a good, good father that withholds nothing from his children. Nothing. That's the word of God. All right. Thank you, Father. Oh, you're worthy, Jesus. Let's pick it up in verse 3, 2 Timothy 4 and 3, and we're going to get through this. I only got three points. The word of the Lord reads like this. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. I'm hearing a lot of I and own in that. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. The first takeaway tonight is we are all susceptible to falling victim to the curse of the pew warmer. First takeaway tonight, we are all susceptible to falling victim to the curse of the pew warmer. Paul was speaking to people that were active in church. Paul was speaking to people that led devotionals, that did lay preaching from time to time, that led worship. He was talking to people that were actively engaging the works that Christ died to empower us to walk in. They were engaging underneath the banner of Christ, but they had yet to come under the banner of Christ. We are all susceptible to falling victim to the curse of the pew warmers. Pew warmers have an outward display of Christianity, but no real relationship. An outward display of Christianity, but no real relationship. They're the people in the streets that are quick to greet you with, well, God bless you, brother. How you doing today? Do you really want to know? Are you going to take time to listen? How much time you got? Right? Well, praise God. God is good all the time, brother. They've got all the slogans down, but they have denied the very power. And the power is not in the pew. The power is in relationship. And if you don't know how to pray, pray until you pray. What I love about God is he's always making allowances for our shortcomings. In Romans 8, 26, don't take my word for it, it says, for we do not even know how to pray. So the Spirit releases groanings on our behalf too deep for words to express. Pew warmers have an outward display of Christianity, but no real relationships. Pew warmers don't know that they're pew warmers. Whoo! That's what's, that's what's crazy about the whole thing. Pew warmers don't even know that they're pew warmers. So you know what a sign of this is? They're always going to be feeding you their spiritual resume. Pew warmers don't even know they're pew warmers. They're constantly going to be feeding you their spiritual resume, how equipped they are, how much knowledge they have. The power isn't in the knowledge, brother. The power is in walking in the knowledge. Can I get a witness? Everybody's praying for a fresh revelation. What we should be praying for is the power to walk in what we already know. If you don't know what to do in life circumstance, try on love for a change. He said to love the Lord thy God with all the heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself self if you don't know what to do try on love hey man if it's, it feels pretty good it fits pretty good come on somebody it brings a nice sheen to it it creates an aura try on love for the co-worker that you've been disgruntled with since the day you started working try on love with the frustrated cashier that's on her last nerve because what you didn't know is that somebody just cussed her out at Walmart about 30 minutes ago try on love for the person in the church that you're serving next to that manifest on you try on love if you ever find yourself in a position of confusion on what to do next the answer is love because my God is not a 
cosmic bully sitting up there waiting to throw judgment upon his children. He is a God of love. He defines himself as love. And God tells us through the 13th chapter of the first letter to the Corinthian church that he has a love for us that endures all things without weakening. Second takeaway tonight for us. Go to 2 Timothy 4 and we're going to pick it up in verse 3. I could get the praise and worship team. Oh, I hope y'all are ready for the altar. Oh, you're worthy, Jesus. 2 Timothy 4 and 3, and the word of the Lord reads like this. It says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. The second takeaway tonight is the source of becoming a pew warmer is misplaced affection. Second takeaway tonight, the source of becoming or the origin of becoming a pew warmer is misplaced affection. The first thing that we need to do as followers of Christ is identify what stirs our affection for the Lord. Right? What is it about your tailor-made walk with Christ that stirs your affection for the Lord? Amen? When I, was, when I met my first love, come on, somebody, in the fifth grade, I'm not talking about a female. I'm talking about the game of basketball. When I met my first love, come on, somebody, it came with an aired-up uh, leather ball. Come on, somebody. And I was a white boy that dunked in eighth grade. Can I get an amen in the house of God? Come on, somebody. But what I had to do to operate and to perform at the level that I had a desire to do is I had to sacrifice for hours on a daily basis. Sacrifice isn't fun. Can we be honest in the house tonight? So what I did is I would turn on some hip-hop music on my little jam box out on the driveway. I used, to, I used to upset all the neighbors. For hours every day, I'd have that music going. And I'd be out there sacrificing, shooting free throws, doing layups, pretending to be Mike. I'm wearing his shoes. Come on, somebody. I'm on the team. I want to be, I want to be like Mike. But I identified what stirred my affection for basketball. And what stirred my affection for basketball was music. It's the same thing in the kingdom of God. We have to identify what stirs our affection for the Lord. And guess what? It's not works, brother. For me, it's a strong cup of black coffee in the morning. 45 minutes before my wife and my brand new baby wake up. And I, I, I throw that mud back real quick, and I like it about as thick as motor oil because I'm homegrown, brother. Come on, somebody. Hello. So is my wife. So, so I get that black coffee, and I get before the Lord, and, and he usually tells me where to go. And I get quiet before him. People say, how often do you pray? I pray about half the time. Half the time I pray and half the time I listen. That's what stirs my affection for the Lord. If I don't get before God in a quiet place before my day in the confusion of life's responsibilities and obligations come knocking at my door, then my day is gone. It's thrown off. I pray, God, have your way with my day so that this day will not have its way with me. The third takeaway and the final tonight before we close. 2 Timothy 4 and 4. The word of the Lord reads, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. The third and final takeaway tonight is 
pew warmers recruit pew warmers. And when you're stuck in misery, brother, you want to take everybody to that place with you that you can. Pew warmers are yes men. Pew warmers are Absalom. They'll meet you at the gate beautiful. And they'll agree with you of all the wrongs that have been done to you. And if I was king, then I would do it this way. Y'all know that God killed Absalom, right? God dealt with them. Hey, don't worry about the Absaloms in your life. God's going to deal with them. They're either going to get broken down, busted, or they're going to get set free. So let's claim that they get set free so that we can welcome them into the house of God. Because the word of God says that he has a desire that all men would come to repentance. That he has a desire that none would perish. So let's pray blessing and breakthrough for our brothers instead of cursing their name. God's going to deal with them when God's going to deal with them. That's his business. You're not the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost don't need your help. He said, I will be sure and just to complete the work I have begun in you. He didn't say he needed your help. Pew warmers recruit pew warmers. They, repro they reproduce after themselves. So if you're in the house of God tonight, will you stand right there as the light gets turned down low? I just want to invite you to come into a place of intimacy with God right now. I want to invite you to leave the false doctrine of the pew warmer behind. I want to invite you into relationship with God. I want to invite you into the wonder that comes only by relationship with God. Let's praise Him in the house tonight.